Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping to give a PodPower shout-out to Book Women, a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums, such as podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen in Find out more right now at bookwomenpodcast.ca. Front-loaded apology if there's a little bit of uh, white noise kind of in the background. In our luxurious and very soundproof <laughs> recording studio, uh, because it is a cool day. We've we've hit the first real cool day of the fall. Yeah, we're, we're actually coming into a, a not a cold spell. A cool spell. Yeah, the furnace has kicked in and is going right now at the time that we chose to record. Also, there's a little bit of a hum from the mini fridge in the corner where we keep an assortment of refreshing beverages. I We told you, luxury. Yeah, that is literally the one luxury in the recording studio. <laughs> and at the moment, because of the lack of soundproofing, it is making noise. So I obviously can fiddle with stuff in post-production, but there's always going to be a little bit. So I apologize if you can hear that. Hopefully it'll uh, all... <laughs> It'll all sort itself out, and the furnace will stop running, and the fridge will stop running at some point during the recording. (laughs) Very professional here at our little mom-and-pop podcast. Here in our luxurious basement studio. Yes, where we can spend literally tens of dollars. Tens, I tell you. On uh, making the recording as professional-sounding as possible. (laughs) But you're not here for the quality of the recording. You're here for the quality of the content. And uh, we... Endeavor here to always have some some good conversation and some decent. Oh, and the furnace just kicked out. So Hooray! There you go. <laughs> uh, now you have to redo the noise. Uh, yeah, but I don't have to cut it out. So it's okay, all good. good. At any rate, uh, with all that preamble said, let's get into that quality content uh, with a brief recap of chapter five of our novel, in which there were unicorns. Honestly, to Addie, that's probably the only thing she remembers yeah. about the last chapters, that there were unicorns in it. Yeah, they were being chased by uh, mysterious warg riders. This, of course, happened as the uh, the group continued to trek inwards and had a little bit of discussion about some of the other important figures on the island. And Addie also had a little flashback where we get confirmation that perhaps Harris Lang is not being as forthcoming about this quest as he Probably should be. Probably. And that all leads us into chapter six of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. One thing that we did not discuss last chapter, and I, I honestly considered recording a little additional bit and splicing it in, which we've done before. Well, okay. To be fair, the reason we didn't discuss it last chapter was because it didn't occur to you until you were editing the chapter 
after we had recorded it. Yeah, so let's uh, let's set the table here. When I was listening back to the recording and editing it last week, we got to that part again where we were talking about the chess move. Yeah, the, that, the message from Harris Lang. That Harris Lang wanted to deliver to Dominic Brand. I was curious what that chess move would look like. So I actually looked up like what that chess move would be and was embarrassed to discover that it's actually a quote from the movie Blade Runner, which is a movie that I'm aware of and have watched several times and quite enjoy, totally went over my head. Yeah, to me, that's a much deeper cut than it is to you, because I've only seen Blade Runner once, Yeah, now, and there's no way that that registered in my head. Further to that, it, it is also uh, a reference in Blade Runner to a very famous chess game, but I think that in the context of the book, it's probably a reference to Blade Runner. Probably. And it was interesting to me because it went over our heads because we weren't looking for a science fiction reference in a fantasy book. And equally, it went over Addie's head. She's a pop culture professor, but she specializes in fantasy. And Harris Lang... so far, anyway. Yeah, and Harris Lang drops a sci-fi reference on her and it goes right over her head. She looks him straight in the eye with no comprehension and is like, what, are you playing a chess game with him? And Harris Lang is amused by this response and is just like, yeah, sure. He knowingly dropped a sci-fi reference on her and was amused by the fact that she did not get it. But I don't know exactly what that means. I think the interesting thing is that it demonstrates that Addie Cox is a very genre-savvy character. She knows she's in a fantasy story. She knows she's in a fantasy game. And she's approaching it, even in this chapter, she's approaching it as someone who is very aware of the story she's in. This fantasy story that she thinks she's in. Yeah, because she's in this quest land. She's in a, a live-action fantasy game in a live-action fantasy world, and she's approaching it like that. But what if she's not? What if she's failed to realize that she is on a futuristic science fiction island dealing with a science fiction problem? Right. So it's a sci-fi adventure. Dressed up as a yes, fantasy Yes, in a adventure. fantasy skin, basically. So she's, I think this might be a clue that she is wrong genre savvy. Maybe. And which, that that is going to get her into trouble. Which actually explains a fair bit about this chapter that we just read. Yeah, it informs right? this chapter a little bit in an interesting way, which is why I definitely wanted to pick back up that thread from last chapter, which we had missed and I only caught in review and am now mentioning because I do feel that it informs some of this chapter. Well, it's quite possible. Yeah. It still doesn't negate our theory that they are like top tier unaware playtesters. Yeah. Right? But one of the other theories that I had thrown out I don't know if I did it on the podcast or just to you. I'm pretty sure I did it on the podcast. I think you did it a bunch of chapters ago. Was that it's possible that the they needed a villain for their game. They needed some sort of Dark Lord, a Sauron or a or a Lich King to, yep. to defeat. So they created this robot end boss who is too good and is maybe responsible for taking over the island. So our theory is Which would be which would be Westworld. It would be yeah. a robot uprising. So they've so what they've done is created a very competent villain who Moriarty'd. Yeah. And who has now taken over the island. So it is a robot uprising. We're not saying that that is what Sorry. has happened. We're saying that that was something that we had floated. In this scenario, yes. <laughs> there's a, it, it is a robot uprising. But a robot uprising is a uniquely sci-fi problem. It's just a sci-fi problem dressed up as a fantasy problem. In this yes. Case. Except that doesn't jive super well with how Harris Lang is dealing with this team. No, and and again, the the <clears throat> clues are definitely pointing at they are 
being unknowingly sent into the island to test it. The, is, the bulk of the clues at the moment. At are the moment, at the moment, that is still my favorite theory. Oh, yeah. There might still be a robot uprising, but maybe we just don't know about it yet. Like the the truth of the matter is that Doctor Cox and the mercenary team have yet to penetrate enough of the island's mystery for us to really make a truly informed guess on what's going on. It's true. They we haven't have made it very far. Uh, we have encountered three mystical things and interacted with like one and a half of them and haven't interacted with anything that knows what's going on which would in theory be one of the developers on the island like they haven't seen hide nor hair of, of a, a real hum- person of a real yeah. human being of a real person it's true so yeah yeah so, so scott discovered a super deep cut which may have changed things well i mean possibly or we're reading too much into it and he's just trying to be look he was just trying to be clever i don't know we read one chapter and then we think about it for a week <laughs> I know. We are the king and queen of reading too deeply into a novel. <laughs> Irresponsible speculation. We've said it many times over. Yes. At any rate, this is all last chapter stuff. And uh, the good news is we have plenty of time to talk about it because this chapter is pretty short. Chapter six starts with the team continuing to move through the forest. And Addie does take a moment to consider how well this island was chosen for this particular like setting yeah because it seems to have a lot of different kind of terrain and landscapes and features that allow you to move from like different areas right like sandy beaches dense forest open plains right lots of different options yeah she wouldn't be surprised if they encountered a swamp or a desert at this point i wouldn't be surprised if they had to climb a mountain at some point uh, yeah Uh, well they're moving inland and it's an island. My assumption would be that there is a mountain somewhere in there. But like a traditional Zelda map, you've got all your little different terrains with all their little different problems, right? Why, why you got to tease me with the Zelda map? I'm surprised you didn't think of that. I think of it constantly. It's nothing new. As they move through the, uh, through the woods, Addie is thinking about how she's a little disappointed that they're moving very efficiently, trying to avoid as much as possible because she's bought into this. She loves it. And she's she's already planning her next vacation to the island. She wants to be in this world so badly that not only is it detracting her from the mission she's actually on, mm-hmm. she is doing just foolhardy things. Yeah. Like stuff she wouldn't do in regular life even. Like you wouldn't just wander into traffic, but she was ready to wander into a stampeding herd of unicorns. She's so distracted. She, it's, it's crazy. Well, and I think part of the problem with that is that she's in the mind that she's in a game and that there's an inherent safety to that. Right. 10 people are dead. And 10 people are dead who didn't even make it onto the island. Yeah. And the mercenaries are approaching this as a dangerous, potentially deadly situation in a way that Addie is not. And you can see that that is getting more frustrating especially for Torres in this chapter. He keeps having to reel her back in. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why they are trying to cut a direct path to what they think is the control center, and they're trying to avoid as much as possible because they don't want to deal with this. They want to get in quickly. They want to avoid any possible danger. They don't want to be seen. And to Addie, this is just ruining the fun of the situation. But they're not here for fun, and she's not supposed to be. Right? Which is why she's actually pleasantly delighted when they encounter something that they were trying to avoid, because, of course, they can't rely on the maps. Right. Which is a, a grove with very artificially constructed trees. And the mercenaries, of course, kind of like hunkered down and Torres is like, everyone stop. And Addie's just like, <laughs> doop to doop to doop. And she's like, oh, they're so pretty. And just wanders <laughs> right into the middle of it with Torres just being like, stop. <laughs> please, please stop. <laughs> please don't cause danger. 
like they've already left enough evidence of their existence, mm-hmm. right? That there are visitors to this island. Yeah. She doesn't need to make it any worse. Addie quickly realizes this is a grove of dryad trees, dryads being tree spirits. Yeah. Frequently um, depicted as uh, attractive, shapely young women. Yeah, who are who are part tree or attached to a tree in a more spiritual way. Yeah, it depends on which uh, mythos and or canon you're looking at. The only message that they're getting from the dryads, indeed from only one of the dryads, is go back, there's danger. Danger. Yeah. So there's there's a couple things going on here. First of all, Addie blunders into this level two encounter <laughs> without any forethought. She just walks right into it. And that was stunning to me because she is an experienced game player, obviously. Uh, it's referenced that she has played a lot of, like, at least Dungeons and Dragons over her days. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, probably more. She, it, implication, she's probably done some LARPing. You'd think as someone who is an experienced gamer that she would approach an encounter with a little bit of caution. What you're saying is, she should know better. Yeah, but she's so excited to be playing that she just keeps, she walks right, she's like, ooh, a trap, let's see what it does. Yeah. (laughs) She's going to get herself in a lot of trouble, and possibly the rest of her team pretty soon if she doesn't reel herself in. Like, I I get her enthusiasm, but she's blithely unaware of the potential danger of every situation. That's, yeah, which I think you've already said this. She thinks she's playing a game, and there is an intrinsic safety to that, right? Because a game is just a game, except that we don't know for sure that it's just a game. We don't know the scope of the danger. We only know that a force field has killed 10 people. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of unknowns here, and she's skirting the edge, I think, of of possibly being in very real danger. Yeah. Like, on the one hand, she's approaching this from a place of knowledge, but she's also approaching it recklessly. And I think that that's starting to really get on Torres's nerves, oh, if nothing else. super is. Now, Addie tries to figure out which of, the, which of the dryads is talking. It turns out to be like the Weeping Willow one. She's curious why they can't get any more information out of it. Like, what's the danger? What are you trying to warn us of? And she keeps trying to ask it questions because she's determined that she just hasn't figured out the right way to ask. This is a puzzle to be solved, and she just has to solve it. Yeah, and Wendell is the one who actually points out, like, you have to remember, this island is in beta right now. Like, they might not have finished this encounter. This might be the only thing that can go on here at the moment. Yeah, maybe. And she's a little disappointed by that. Because, again, it's like when Wendell, and this seems to be Wendell's role in the story at the (laughs) moment. It's like when he cut into the Sphinx and revealed that it was a cyborg, right? Yeah. And it wasn't a real Sphinx. And it sort of shattered that illusion. And once again, he's shattered the illusion by reminding her, this is is just a live action game. This isn't a real fantasy world. And this probably just isn't done. And for her, that's just kind of disappointing. (laughs) But I think it's what she needs to keep her grounded. He is definitely keeping her grounded at the moment, for sure. Because, again, her head is in the clouds at the moment. I know. She is having a great time in what she needs to remember is a potentially dangerous situation. And again, based on that little clue from last week, she might be wrong genre savvy. Maybe. She might be very confident about going through this fantasy adventure, not realizing that she is in a sci-fi story. Right? With very different set of dangers. Indeed. And here is the weird juxtaposition for me, because I am of two minds about this now. On the one hand, I recognize that she is being reckless, and that could end very badly. Mm -hmm. On the other hand... I really want her to solve more puzzles. I know. Like, I'm very much on her side, and I want to see her 
be smart, right? And solve oh. the riddles and know the lore and get the answers and help out. I don't misunderstand. Addie's very likable. I do like her. It's just I can see the frustration from the mercenaries because they're not wrong. She is blundering into potentially dangerous situation after potentially dangerous situation. Yeah, I know. And I can see why that would be very frustrating to the professionals who are trying, on one hand, to keep her alive. She is the frustrating escort quest. Yeah, she is the frustrating <laughs> escort quest. But there is still good on that side of it. They still need her. Oh, yeah. If they were by themselves without someone who had the knowledge and references that she does. Well, they'd have destroyed that sphinx, that's for sure. <laughs> or vice versa? I don't know. It's probably not actually lethal or not supposed to be actually lethal. But who knows what it's at right now? Yeah. I'm a little torn because I kind of wish Torres would have let her solve the dryad puzzle. Yeah, he kind of pushes her past it. Yeah, and off they go, leaving this this warning tree behind them. But I kind of wish that she would have been able to assess it just because it was a warning of danger. Let her solve that puzzle and then assess for yourself whether or not it's real danger or story danger. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's part of the thing we don't know. The dryad may have actually been giving them real warning about actual danger up ahead. Maybe. As opposed to, as you put it in quotations that nobody could see, story danger. Yeah, story danger in big air quotes. Because if you're scared of, oh, no, the magic potion shop is over there. Uh, that's not maybe as dangerous as, oh, there's a horrible <laughs> herd of wargs, wild wargs running at you to trample you to death. That's uh, a little more actual danger. Yeah. And further to that... <laughs> If I may, they know that the information they have is kind of wrong, out of date, right? Kind of wrong and out of date. What harm is there in letting Addie glean as much as she can from the island? Giving them new and updated information. Like, what was so wrong with letting her try and figure out the dryad puzzle? Maybe it would have been helpful. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong in that regard as well. The, the problem is that there are two competing... Um, mindsets to how to approach the island between Addie and Torres. Because Torres just, he's not here to solve the puzzle. He's here to cut through and short circuit it at its source. Addie is here to do the same thing, but has found herself swept up in trying to solve the puzzle. That's creating tension. Yeah, there has to be a happy medium between these two. Between the mercenaries wanting to brute force the puzzle, right? And get to the other side of it and deal with it. And mm -hmm. Addie wanting to solve the puzzle and be part of it. I would argue that there is a happy medium. Oh, there absolutely is. Um, we just have to find it. It's Addie's right in that playing the game will give them more information about what the design team was doing and maybe what the current situation is. But she's also going about it in a very reckless way. Oh, she is. And in that way, the mercenaries are right in that they need to be cautious and they need to be careful in a way that she's not being right now. And I think that the happy medium is that she needs to rein it in and they need to let her actually do a little bit of, I'm going to call it field research. <laughs> um, also with air quotes. Because, because in that way, they might actually succeed better at their quest. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But uh, at the moment, they're they're not communicating that very well to one another. So <laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess if there is danger ahead, we will potentially find out what it is as we move into chapter seven of our novel. 
You'll want to read up on that in time for next week. In the meantime, this island was bankrolled by an eccentric tech billionaire who can do whatever he wants with basically unlimited money. But for most of us, we don't have unlimited money. And if you need financial help to help make your dreams come true, you might consider checking out one of our newest sponsors. Do you ever feel like just a number? A digit? A denominator? A decimal? Another cog in the big bank machine? Waiting on hold? Online? Never on time? And always on your dime? Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth? In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. Connect First Credit Union. Cool. You can uh, find out more about them by following the links at the Alberta Podcast Network website. That's albertapodcastnetwork.com. While you're there, you can find many other podcasts on a variety of topics. Probably there's one there that you'll like. You can download it on your podcatcher of choice. Absolutely. That's also probably where you're catching this pod. You might consider giving us a little rating and a review. We would appreciate it. We'd like to share that appreciation over social media. Yes. Pick your poison. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along at most of those. I think so, yes. You can also send us an email. Yes. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Lovely tree lady. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs>